Hey Logo Geeks, it's Ian Padgett here. I'm back for another podcast that's created to help you make a living designing logos. Today's episode is sponsored by The Perfect Match, a game where designers submit mood board created using Adobe stock assets. And if your mood board design is chosen, you will be featured on Adobe's monthly live streaming game show with other talented designers, art directors, and creatives, where the winner goes home with $1,000. It's totally free to participate in the perfect match, and by simply submitting an entry, Adobe will give you a gift for your time. To learn more about that and to enter, visit theperfectmatch.co forward slash logogeek. So you may have noticed over the past few months that I've slightly shifted the focus of the podcast from being purely about logo design and branding to being a little bit more focused on helping you make a living designing logos. So one topic that I've been really keen to really drill into is making a consistent income. And a big part of that is going to be ongoing marketing and sales. So to discuss this, I wanted to invite on Hayden Burgess, of Pitcher, who's a sales coach who helps creative studio and micro agency owners grow through sales and mindset. So to help you make a consistent income, uh, we're going to be discussing marketing, sales and mindset. So here is the interview with Hayden Burgess. Something I'm keen to talk about on the podcast is sales and and making money. And I I know looking on your Instagram feed, you you have said that you can help creatives create consistent $20,000 months within 90 days with your program. And that's a lot of money. Um, I know not everyone's in the uh, position where they can get to that figure of money. But I I think this is a good conversation to have. Um, The focus of the podcast is making a living from logo design. So I think this is a a really good topic to dive into. So kind of as an opening question, and we'll see where this takes us, how how does somebody get to the point where they can make $20,000 a month? That's that's a lot of money. (laughs) It is a lot of money. Um, I guess like to put in context, mate, like, um, when people start working with us, they're already going. They're not starting from zero. And I've found with a lot of clients that I've worked with, it's often just a couple of small tweaks. And they might already be doing, say, seven to maybe even kind of 15 a month. Uh, but it's really sporadic, you know, like it's up and down. And they and they all say to me, it's feast or famine. Like I'll have a great month and then a hard month. Um, so what I help my clients with is... I guess, kind of making it more streamlined and making it uh, more consistent. So to answer your question, if you're going from like a standing start to 20K, that may seem like a reach, but most people that come to me and I make sure I qualify them first, of course, are already doing seven to 12, maybe 15 max. Um, So it's just a matter of a couple of small tweaks. It might be, I'm looking at their pricing. It might be having one new kind of strategy to generate an extra client a month. It's often small things. And that's what makes the biggest 
difference in a, in a any business. It's the small things you do every day. It's the small sales and marketing stuff that a lot of us leave um, until the last minute or we'll get so busy with work and we'll have so much client work on that we'll just drop it all for like three or four weeks uh, and we won't start again until we're quiet, until we've, we've, we've I'm signed off on those projects maybe. Um, so does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. So for people listening to this, on the podcast, I have done episodes uh, about getting your first clients. Yeah. And I think this interview, it doesn't make sense to go into that stuff. I've done that on the podcast before. Um, yep. You know, getting your first client, that's relatively easy. And I, I do think, you know, once once you've been going for a year or so, you start to build a reputation, you start to get those clients, you start to make some money. But in order to properly make a living doing this, uh, you know, to get to that point where you can quit your job and, and focus on uh, whatever you choose to do, be that logo design or graphic design or, or anything else, uh, you know, I've got episodes that should help people to to get to that point. So I would love to dive into some of the stuff that you're able to advise on, you know, people that are already awesome. making a, a good amount of money and are doing well, but they're having those inconsistent months. And uh, I know sometimes I have months like that. Sometimes I have months that are really good. <laughs> and then I have <laughs> yeah. uh, other months where I make half that. I've got friends that are in that same uh, situation. So you mentioned in the introduction about consistency, you know, so to, to, to make that consistent income, what tips do you have to help with that type of thing? Um, so tips around creating um, consistency, I guess for me, like there's a lot to creating consistency, but really one of the most basic things in any business, but I think in particular for creatives is that First off, um, and if you're talking about a brand identity and designer, um, if you're talking about a photographer or a videographer, um, whatever type of creative business, um, most of us, we love doing the creative work. We love doing like, you know, kind of coming up with ideas and um, brainstorming with clients and, you know, kind of sitting on Illustrator and designing stuff um, and creating cool stuff. And we don't, a lot of us don't see ourselves as a salesperson or we don't see ourselves as someone who can, I guess, kind of market themselves. Um, so one of the first tips, I think, to creating um, consistency is actually working out where are your clients coming from first off um, and what are the activities that can actually, that are actually kind of um, generating you work and actually kind of mapping those out and kind of measuring them. So what I mean by that is, if you're getting work from Instagram, which I know a lot of my clients do, it's creating kind of consistency and it's kind of measuring where things are coming from so that you know if you do a certain um, type of post on a Monday or a Friday, that could generate you a client. What I find is if people do work sporadically, if they do sales activities, they do um, networking sporadically, marketing sporadically, they get sporadic um, results. So I think my first tip is if you want to get more consistent months, it's mapping out like what's actually, where's my work I'm coming from? Is it from my network? Is it from Instagram? Is it from leads from uh, my website? Um, and actually working out what are the key activities I need to do and put into my week to make sure they happen. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So if I'm understanding right, uh, each time you get an inquiry, monitor 
I, 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 don't, I don't know how you would log this, so maybe you can expand on that, but monitor yeah. where those inquiries are coming from and whatever's doing well, focus on that, you know, do more of that. Am I understand, understanding that correctly? I mean, I think it's important to measure where your leads are coming from 100% if you want to do it that way, of course. What I'm really trying to say is that creating um, consistency means you're doing sales and marketing activities every week and not just leaving them till the last minute and you're measuring where your leads are coming from. So you're going, well, I got five inquiries from Instagram um, last month. I got five inquiries from my website. How can I um, optimize that? Um, so it's working out what are the key sales and marketing activities I need to do and making them happen. So that's the super fundamental thing. And that kind of harkens back to what I said before. Like, It's not about leaving that stuff until you're quiet, until you've finished off two massive projects and you need to go out and find work. It's planning into your week that you're consistently... Uh, planting seeds with people and consistently lining jobs up. So it's just making sales and marketing a real fundamental part of your um, workflow. Because I think aside from the creative um, work we do, the sales and marketing we do to generate um, clients like has to come second, you know, there's there's um, admin stuff, there's um, client management, there's all that kind of stuff. But if you really want to grow your business, it's working out what are the key activities for me uh, and making them happen uh, consistently, you know, not skipping a day. Because I guess the other big idea, Ian, is that when you talk to potential leads, uh, potential clients, people who come to you or people you speak to online, um, not all of them are going to be ready to buy from you straight away. You know, it's a fundamental thing. Like if you get, say, uh, let's just say like a, um, um, 10 leads or 10 inquiries, um, in general, five of those will probably never buy from you because they'll They'll just be kind of um, shopping around maybe or they just want to get a comparison. Um, Then you got um, five left. Two of those are probably going to buy from you and go, yeah, I want to work with you now. I'm ready to go. Let's start next week. Uh, But three of them are probably going to work with you, but they won't sign up for the next 90 days to two years. So what it comes down to, I think, is creating um, consistency. And the second thing um, you can do is just realize that not every client is going to be ready for you um, right now. So the seeds you plant, how you nurture them, if that's via an email, um, your email um, newsletter, if that's via um, posting um, regular content, however you nurture your clients, make that part of your um, workflow. And um, that's a second way to create more consistency. Realize that not every client's going to buy from you straight away uh, and realize that you need to nurture a lot of people along that process because people might want to work with you, but they don't have the money, or maybe it's a time thing, whatever that um, looks like. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So um, I'm just wondering, in terms of logging where the, the, the people are coming from, Yeah. Um, are you using any particular tool for that or just using like an Excel spreadsheet? Yep. So we, um, in, our, in the program, in our um, creative growth program, we have a tool that we um, share with the clients and um, with our clients and it's really just going okay let's map out your activities for the week uh we, where are you already getting um work from how can we kind of leverage that and what are the activities we need to plan into your week on a tuesday on a thursday so you know they get done i don't know if it's been um, your experience but in my experience when we get busy we don't um do that stuff so yeah we, um, <laughs> but like um that's the thing um Creating um, consistency is something that will come five years down the line, depending on how fast your business grows. 
um, how many people um, talk about you, there's going to be a certain point. And if you if you're one man, um, if you're one man or one woman, I'm solopreneur. If you're a small studio, if you're an agency, that you'll get to the point where um, consistency happens anyway because you've just got such a good name in the market, right? Um, but something you can do earlier on is actually go like, I'm going to treat this like a serious business. I'm going to do my sales marketing activities on the regular. I'm going to map out which ones are working best for me. Um, and you can start to build that consistency um, that way. It makes total sense, really. Like, if you want regular clients, you need to do regular marketing. <laughs> um, it's it's interesting. I'm at a point where I'm quite lucky in in that um, I've been able to have a regular recurring income yep. from clients without having any um, like proper plan, <laughs> and uh, I, I'm probably lucky in that sense. Yeah. But some something I something I am doing is creating content consistently. Um, okay, I've, I I did have some time off earlier in the year, but over the past like uh, eight nine years, I've consistently posted on social media. I've consistently created content. Um, yeah. You know what you're listening to now. Uh, or what we're doing now is creating content um so you know creating podcasts putting that on my website um stuff like that that is, even though this content isn't directly targeting my potential clients it does in itself help with building authority and building a reputation and um building uh, authority on on Google, on social media, and stuff like uh, on uh, search engines. Um, yeah. So it, I I am consistently creating content, but I just made it part of my business. I just made yes. it part of my daily activities. And like you said, that doesn't come straight away. Uh, I remember when I first started, it was just you know you do it now and again uh, when <laughs> you kind of feel like doing it. But when you are taking it more seriously, and I'm lucky in that this content generates an income yeah. that income motivates me to keep creating content uh, so yeah. you know it becomes a self-perpetuating thing um but yeah <laughs> you know if you want clients create content that is attracting those clients consistently yes yes like 100 percent, and i think like um that's something that i learned and this is something that i that i teach uh the people in our program um or i kind of i don't kind of drill into them but <laughs> I, I encourage them to do it is that when you're creating content, that content's purpose is to raise awareness about you and your brand and your services. Mm -hmm. um, at the end of the day, it's to help you grow your business and to find clients. If you help people along the way by giving them ideas and giving them things that can um, help them in their business, you know, that's amazing. Um, but the whole purpose mm -hmm. of creating content is, as I said, to raise awareness, but to also to help you find clients and to help clients find you um, and I think the mindset around that is when you're selling work to a client, you know, you're helping them, you're adding so much value to their business. Um, so I think if, if you can help them along that path, if you can create content that prompts them, if you can create content that gets them thinking that that's the exact challenge I'm having, then they move faster to work with you. They solve their problem and they, and they get, and they get a win. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But yeah, the content creation thing, like, I notice a lot of, I see a lot of um, um, designers of, of um, all types, all types of um, creatives. Um, I see a lot of the time that they're creating content that seems like it's um, directed 
at other designers and if that's if that's um an audience for you like if you're an educator perhaps then i totally get that but what i've noticed is that i see a lot of people creating content that isn't relevant to their market and wouldn't make their market go i'm having that exact exact same um problem right now that really kind of resonates with me because my um my um branding is not a, is not attracting the right um type of client so i think the big thing with um content as you said it it is um consistency it's not being spread it, it's having your face out in the market so people think of you and when the timing's right it's one way of kind of nurturing them so they go oh yes i was just thinking about ian i was just thinking about hayden i'll give him a message but i think it's about being clear with your purpose for whatever content you're creating. I mean, mm -hmm. um, the podcast that I do, I'm with a friend of mine, that's that's not aimed at my market, it's aimed at other um, creatives because I want to share and and um, help them as much as... Um, exactly. You're creating content for other creatives because you have a service for yes. those people. And yep. in a way, I'm doing the same thing. So um... Exactly, exactly. So I think it's kind of <laughs> different. I guess like... But I guess my my ideology or my idea around that is that if you're a graphic designer and you want to create content that appeals to your market, you, you you need to create content that appeals to them. So uh, what are their pain points and exactly. what are their challenges? Um, so they can go. I know like an example, like we um, in my um, other business, which is our family business, we've been doing that for a long time now. Uh, all we do is a simple email and newsletter every fortnight and generally we'll generate at least one client out of that because we'll be like here's a key problem that a lot of people in your market might be having um, here's what happens if you don't solve it and here's some ideas on how you can solve it and we always people saying to us ah I was just having the exact same problem let's have a conversation so um, I think the idea I mean th there's a lot of facets to creating um content if you're a designer creating content for um, other business owners who could who could buy your services. There's a lot of parts to that. You know, you want to um, engage with them. You want to entertain them. You want to um, educate them about things they haven't um, considered. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot to creating the right um, type of content, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you mentioned about finding pain points and challenges. Yeah. That's easier said than done. <laughs> um <laughs> I think something that, I mean, you, you can share your thoughts as well, but something that's coming to, to mind for, for me based yeah. on past conversations throughout this podcast is the idea of niching down. So if you mm -hmm. have a specific target audience in a specific industry, it's easier in, in those cases to figure out what these pain points and challenges are. Um, because yeah. I, I think a mistake that a lot of people make is that they have a product and they want to target everybody. Um, but yeah. it does become a lot easier when you're like, okay, I'm going to hypothetically target, I'm going to use scores because yeah. uh, I know this guy, Craig, that specializes in scores, and for whatever reason, that's come to mind straight away. So when you think of, okay, so I'm a graphic designer, I want to serve schools, mm -hmm. that becomes easier because you're isolating that particular industry and there are, you can, I'm, I'm assuming that people listening to this will start thinking of things that schools might have. So mm -hmm. um, there might be, you know, like the school books that people do uh, use, the uniforms, all that sort of stuff. You can serve 
your client by offering those things in some kind of package. So you create a package that's for like um, a school startup package and it, it includes graphic design or like a syllabus or whatever. I mean, you can you can start to understand that particular industry so that you can create products that serve them so that you can solve um, specific problems. So is, is that uh-huh. the type of thing that you uh, mean with this when, when you speak about pain points and challenges? Yeah, well, totally. I mean, at a deeper level, like if you want to go that deep, you can you can specifically talk about the pain points of one industry. I mean, um, so I've been doing sales training and sales coaching for about eight years now. And I guess going from working with with different types of business owners, um, anywhere from like um, robotics companies to um, scientists, like all sorts of really interesting um, companies to just working in the niche that I work in, um, 100% there's pain points that are specific um, to my niche and will be specific to you if you if you are working in a niche, okay, I mean, e.g. Mm-hmm. schools. Um, but, mm-hmm. there's, but there's broader pain points that you can still talk about if you are a designer who's starting out who doesn't want a niche or hasn't um, got to the point where they've just kind of naturally niched from the type of clients that have come to them. Um, so those general pain points um, are the same, you know, like your clients aren't attracting the right type of client. Their um, um, their branding has put them in the wrong kind of position in the market. Um, those are the types of things you can you can um, talk about um, if you're if you are kind of servicing a wide range of different markets. Because at the end of the day, people want to work with you because um, they want to grow their business. You know, if you're going to do a brand identity for them, if you're going to create a logo for them, they want to have something that makes them um, uh, makes them feel confident. Um, you know, kind of gives them something they can stand behind. But at the end of the day, it's something that's going to help them make more money and grow more business. Oh, sorry, um, grow their business. So um, to answer your question, you can go that deep, but you can still, even if you aren't niched, you can talk about general pain points that um, good branding will solve mm-hmm. for a client. Mm-hmm. So would you? basically sit down and try and figure out what those pain points are yeah so okay to put it in context um one of the things that we teach in our program is we teach how to break down your clients like what you actually um do for your clients into into the Mm -hmm. problems that it solves into the um, issues that come from those problems um the solution, like what you actually kind of do for them and the benefit. And by doing that, it helps people get really clear about, number one, the the right types of questions to ask when you're in front of a client because one of the things that we really work on with clients is going, hey, like what are the key questions you need to ask that aren't creative questions, they aren't around the vibe, they aren't around what you're going to do for them, but more around why is it important for them and how is it going to positively affect their business? Um so that yes, if you wanted to do that, what I would um, suggest you do is um, sit down and map out what are the actual problems I solve for my clients. How does working with me positively affect their business, and what are the issues if they don't work with me? Because I think the clearer you can be about that, uh, the easier it is to create content, the easier it is to talk to clients, and I think it solves one of the biggest problems that that I hear all the time um, in our in our industry, and in that. Um, people don't know how to articulate the value of what they do. Like they don't know how to clearly explain to a client why they need to spend um, X amount 
and why they need more than just a logo, why they need a secondary <laughs> logo, why they need um, this and that, you know? That was a roundabout way of answering your question. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Well, I, I know when I speak with potential clients, I I have an, an imaginary script uh, that I speak <laughs> yeah. through. I literally say the same thing. Every single client, I literally say the same thing to them when yeah. I have that first conversation. It just... Yeah. It's not written down, but it's it's embedded into my brain. And yeah. when it comes to logo design, something that I really um, drill on is yeah. the idea that the logo needs to be very versatile. And yeah. that goes into the understanding the problems and challenges because there, there's loads of graphic designers out there. If you need a logo design, there is every price range for yeah, every exactly. person from free to, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. So yeah. at the cheaper end, one of the problems that you tend to see, and, and this comes from understanding the market, yeah. is that those logos are not versatile. You know, the, the, the functionality of those logos haven't been considered. So something that I um, speak a lot about when I speak with clients is that you need a, the logo to, to work effectively in every scenario. So yeah. if it's a fashion company, so a clothing company, and I've spoken to a few of them recently, that's one scenario where you need it to be incredibly versatile because you want it to be able to work effectively on the outside of a store you yeah. want it to work effectively on clothing but there's yeah. going to be um scenarios where the um you know like uh, the uh, handle on a zip or yeah. a button what if you put the logo on there really tiny <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you want to make sure that it works effectively and and yeah. that comes down to like you said what are the problems and challenges and and understanding that and even though i'm I personally don't yet target a specific uh, niche or industry, although I, I have seriously considered that and um, I have been thinking of ways of uh, gradually moving over to that. But when it comes around to just that one thing, understanding yeah. things like that, what I've just spoken about, is exactly the type of thing that you are um, talking about. Someone comes to me, I'm yeah. able to highlight a problem or a challenge that they probably would have faced and I'm yeah. able to speak about it so the client knows, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah, 100%. And, and I think like most people know in their, in their head, like most graphic designers, they know what good branding will do for a client. But sitting and mapping out that and actually being clear about it, you've got two things. Like if you talk about um, logos needing to be um, versatile for many different, you know, and really functional so they can be used on uh, garments, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, that's a content piece um, right there, you know, like you might have clients or people in your audience who don't know, who already have a real basic logo that they got for 30 bucks or Fiverr or whatever, how much they spent, you know, um, and they haven't ever considered that. And they try, and so um, that's a content piece um, right there. And it's also something, um, like you said, you can use in an interview um, as opposed to saying, hey, you know, your logo needs to be um, versatile. Um, you phrase it as a question, you say, hey, look, I know from work with a lot of clients that um, one of the challenges a lot of clients have if they have done their own logo, if they've got something done cheaper, is, is, is that it's not versatile. And what that means for them is that um, they can't use it on, like it's not as unfunctional as it needs to be. They can't um, use it on this and that. Um, and, it, and it proves a challenge because it's hard to read and the clients and their clients um, can't identify them. 
um, you know, what's been your experience with that? That's a good idea. It encourages conversation. It does. So <laughs> it's interesting that you mentioned that because I was just about to say one of the challenges with creating content like this is it takes ages. Um, I, 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 I find that type of thing takes a long time. Like I could dedicate the entire week to that. But one yeah. of the challenges that you have is that you have your client work. You kind of yeah. need to focus on that because they paid you. You feel a sense of, um, you know, like like you, you need to get it done. They paid you. Yeah. So you focus all of your time on that. And then you get into this situation where weeks go by, you haven't done any marketing. Yeah. But you actually bought up something there where... We come up with this idea really quickly. So we've spoken about how a logo needs to be versatile. You yeah. turn that into a question. And that is a question that could so easily just be posted on Facebook, on Twitter, exactly. on, on LinkedIn. You don't have to prepare a whole article. You don't have to create social media posts, Instagram images. You don't have to do a, a, a podcast. You don't have to do any of that. You just created a very quick question. Yeah. But actually what you're making me think of is that you that you could turn the answers that you get to those questions into content as well. A hundred percent, man. Like, yeah, <laughs> I'm all about the kind of milking the content and all about like reusing it. Yeah, repurposing uh, yeah. it. Exactly. That's what I was thinking of. Um, but like, <laughs> One, I mean, there's a there's an age old uh, like I uh, like a um, copywriting um, framework which I teach. I'm the guys in my program. It's not mine, but um, it's something that I think is useful for them. Which is just problem agitate um, solution. Which is hey, um, you've got a problem. Um, a lot of companies out there, their logo is not very versatile. You know, that's the problem. Uh, then you um, agitate that. So one of the challenges with that is if you want to branch out and you want to put it on different, uh, you know, kind of surfaces or you want to put it on different, um, use it for different things, it means it's hard to read. It means your clients don't identify with it, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you're um, agitated a bit. And then look, uh, um, here's the solution. When you're thinking about working with a, um, a graphic designer, here's some things you need to consider around what you ask for, what you need, uh, what information you need to give them, et cetera. So I think like the problem agitate solution framework is a super easy way to uh, create content. And um, one of my clients, um, Shay last week, she's um, amazing. Uh, she does brand identity and also uh, web. Um, she did a story post on that and it was just, here's the problem. Um, you have a website that's not converting. Um, are you getting lots of uh, a unique and visitors say, but they're not turning into leads. They're not uh, f- filling out the form. Um, and then she agitated in the second story post. And then here's some ways around there. Here's some things that um, you can do. Um, also, I can uh, do it for you. And I had a call to action at the end. And she got um, t- uh, two clients out of that. So, and the reason nice. I say that is I think like, yeah, it was cool. But the reason I say that is because I think we need to, we don't, we sometimes we're afraid to push people's buttons. We're afraid to like talk about problems that our clients have because we feel like, Oh, that's, you know, that's not right. That's not nice. You know, but my, my philosophy with sales is, and especially when you're selling creative services is um, you're creating something so valuable for a client. You're adding so much um, value to them uh, and their business. If you can help move them along and get them to that, to that solution, to that win, to that outcome faster, it's better for you because you get paid, you get a new client, uh, and it's better for the client because they get like all the amazing things that um, come with having a like a professional brand that makes them feel great about themselves. That means they attract clients. So don't be afraid to talk about those problems and 
push people's buttons you know what's what's some stressing them out why are things not working for them because that gets them to take action I interrupt this interview for a short message from the sponsor of this episode, The Perfect Match, a game where designers submit mood boards created with Adobe stock assets and earn your chance to play on a game show to win big. As designers, we pitch good vibes and great ideas through visuals all day, every day. But how well does our design communicate? Do clients and higher-ups really understand the work we put in front of them? Well, let's find out. Test your skills by assembling a brand-inspired mood board with Adobe stock images to the perfect match. And if your skillful product is chosen, you will be featured on Adobe's monthly live-streaming game show with other groovy designers, art directors, and creatives where the winner goes home with $1,000. It's free to participate in the perfect match. And if you submit an entry, Adobe will give you a gift for your time. To take part and to learn more, visit theperfectmatch.co forward slash logogeek. That's theperfectmatch.co forward slash logogeek. So now let's get back to the interview. So we've we've spoken, you know, about the uh, money side of things. We've we've spoken about how you monitor where your leads are coming from and um, and briefly about making content. And I've um, covered those topics in more detail on other episodes. But something I haven't done much of is the actual, like, sales side of things. So the whole... Um, you know, so you've created content, clients come to you, you now need to convert them into a sale. And I think that's something that's hard. What do you have any advice to recommend to listeners on on that side of things? Yeah. So uh, like, that's a massive thing to unpack, but it's something that I really excited and I love um, talking about. So thanks for asking that question. (laughs) um, So a lot of clients I work with and a lot of creatives, they don't like to talk about money with their clients um, because they're worried that if they make income claims, if they make claims about, you know, I can help you make X or Y or Z or here's how you're, here's how what I'm going to do for you is going to create this result. Uh, they're afraid that the client will push back and go, well, how can you prove that? How can you prove that my branding or whatever will attract um, new clients for me that'll help me grow my business? Um and so I think a lot of us, we don't talk about money and we think, well, what we do is somewhat hard to measure. The results are somewhat intangible, which I totally agree. It's harder to measure um, the effectiveness of a brand maybe than it is to measure the effectiveness of a highly responsive and website, say. But the first thing I would say is if you want to get better at sales, uh, get comfortable talking about money and asking your clients about what they're doing with their business, what their what their financial goals are. Because um, really, if you want to convert, like I get a lot of people uh, come to me and say, I convert people I'm really easy. Um, and I say, yeah, but are you charging enough? And they go, no, well, I know I'm undercharging. Um, I'd like to charge more, but I just don't know how to justify the cost them to the client. Um, so the first thing I would say is get comfortable asking your clients about money. Say like, what's your, you know, what are you actually kind of looking for? If we do this project together, um, where are you looking to be in the next year with your business? Like, 
how much you're looking to grow your own revenue um, over the next year. Um, you know, questions like that. Um, how much um, does an average client I'm spending with you per visit or per uh, per month? Uh, what's the lifetime um, value of a client to you? Because um, really sales is about connecting two things, uh, an emotional and a logical reason, or an, or to put it another way, an, an internal and an external reason. So if you're selling a brand identity design or if you're selling if you're selling a logo, say, and you want to charge them, I don't know what, like say $5,000, the client needs to understand two things. They need to understand they want that logo because it makes them feel good about themselves and makes them feel confident in their business. Uh, but they also need to understand like how that logo is going to play a part in helping them to um, generate income. If that's they want to convert an extra three clients, uh, an extra, say, kind of one client a month, what does that mean for them? And um, I think that's where I approach sales a bit um, differently because even though I'm a creative as well, I've been fully like ensconced in the business world for almost 10 years now. And if you want to put your prices up and you want to sell better, one of the things you need to understand is you need to ask your clients about money and you also need to be able to show them a return on investment. Um, so there's, there's a lot of kind of mystery around like how you sell, but one of the first tips I would say to you is, Hey, get comfortable asking them, what are their financial goals? How is what you're going to, what you're going to do for them, help them achieve those goals? Um, what does an average client spend with them? Cause you can kind of get those figures and, um, you can start to build a case and, and I build a return on investment equation so they understand, well, if I spend $5,000 with you or even say it's $10,000 with you, um, there's a high likelihood that I'm going to convert an extra one or two clients a month. And that might be $20,000 for them, say, per month. Um, so money is number one with sales. Does that resonate with you, Ian? Yeah, it does. Do you ever find that clients aren't willing to um, talk about those figures? they they would be if you didn't ask them in the context of like a greater uh, questioning model so we teach our clients a questioning model which is basically broken down into four parts which is and the first part is you kind of set the frame so you set yourself um, up as a consultant um, by just uh, simply introducing yourself and um, letting um, them know that the focus is going to be on them but um, that that um, you're in control of the core um, and the second part of that is really planting seeds and looking for potential um, challenges. So because cl a client may need may know they need a logo, but if you can attach that to uh, a business growth goal, if that's something they may be kind of missing out on, so it's a loss or a gain, um, then that gives them more, what's the word? Uh, it gives them more understanding and more um, more reason to really want to work with you. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, I'm, I'm finding it really interesting because um, I'm probably an ideal customer for, for your um, services because uh, <laughs> awesome. I tend to, I, I tend to, have a script like i said and yeah um i've got to a point where i'm comfortable saying a certain figure yeah and i feel a bit awkward saying a figure above up i'll be i'll be completely honest i feel really uncomfortable saying prices above a thousand 
Yeah. It just feels <laughs> weird. Well, I, I, it's, I've got head trash because there was a point when I started out yeah. where I was quoting like 50 pounds and yeah. I would have people saying, you're not worth that. I, I literally had someone saying, I can get a lot cheaper than that. Oh, man, and I terrible. find that hysterical now because that is like bargain basement I prices. And um, I, yeah, and I'm at a point now where I'm charging way more than that. And I just have this weird, I just feel awkward saying prices above a thousand. I, yeah. I, I do that frequently now, but I still feel awkward. But I think, um, um, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I, I, never, I never ask about the money, I, I never ask um how much they're making how much they're bringing in and and actually what you're making me realize is it gives me a good idea on on how much they have available to invest and yeah. how much that could theoretically like say if they had a new identity and what they currently have now is poor yeah um i know that that will probably you know hypothetically bring in at least one new client and if it's if it's say um you know for the sake of it an estate agent mm -hmm. and they're selling properties that are half a million and they make you know two percent on that that's a lot of money and if yeah, they can exactly. sell one more of those each month by redesigning their uh leaflets and marketing material and, and store then you know you should comfortably be able to um charge that amount of money because it's like you know look you know that next month you're gonna be able to get one more um you're you're gonna be able to sell that one extra property that will yeah. cover the cost of this and it gives you it gives you the difference between people that have no money versus people that do have a lot of money and it would it would probably make me feel a lot more comfortable to say prices above a thousand because it's like yeah you've got that money easily <laughs> exactly and that's the thing and that's what i say to people i say you know don't say to them look i know that that if you get a new logo if you get like a full brand identity that it's going to make you x amount but what you can say is look like your your identity is what is what attracts people if that's attracting the right type of uh, type of people or the wrong type of people um that's going to have an effect on your business um i know you know that this is only one part in a greater machine which is which is all the rest of your marketing stuff you do your copy all that um you know but i read a stat that was from the design council uk and they said that for every one pound spent on branding a company can expect to make 25 pounds back in revenue so what i say to people in my group is is you don't have to prove the stuff like you don't have to say to someone i'm going to guarantee you that you'll get one more client but you know they probably will so if they if they mm -hmm. kind of push back and say how can you prove that say well i can't prove that you know what i'm doing for you is only one part of a of a greater system or greater machine right but all i can tell you is i can share this um, um stat with you which is from the design council i can share with you a case study of a client who generated x amount of new work after working with me um so I think people are afraid when they're selling to make bold statements. And I'm not saying you have to, but, and I'm not saying, I mean, people don't expect you to prove that stuff, but if you can show them enough uh, reason, then, then they go, Oh, I see it's an investment for me. I see like, so a super simple example of this is um, I did a, a, a super simple um, logo job for a dude. Um, I won't say what I'm industries in obviously, but um, uh, mm -hmm. I charged him um, $1,600 in New Zealand. And, um, 
so um, before I even um, talked about the price, I went through um, our system, which we teach, which is like um, setting the frame, um, finding out his why, like what, what, what's the challenge he wants to solve through this project? Um, is there a loss for him or a gain for him? Uh, creating an urgency, which is in the third part of that. So why is it important for you to do this now, like, and not in six months' time? Uh, and then at the end of it, I said, well, you know, you've just um, said to me that your average client's going to spend with you about an X amount per month um, or per week it was. And I worked out that he was going to be making about $1,000 a day from this new business. Um, his primary me- prim- primary uh, means of um, generating work was going to be this, these um, business cards that we did. So I'm um, giving them out and talking to people, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I felt quite comfortable saying $1,600 because I'd already found out that he was going to be making about $5,000 a week anyway. Uh, and using the collateral I created for him was going to be the, his, his predominant way of finding business. So I that's making sense. But I guess what I'm saying is... Um, getting comfortable talking about business like numbers, you know, people, I mean, we, we have a different language with what we, how we talk about stuff because we understand it all, but most um, business owners don't. Um, so it's talking about things in their terms and that comes down to talking about a return on investment um, is one of the primary things. But going back to what you said before about charging a thousand, oh, sorry, uh, 50 pounds for a logo. Um, I think the other mindset shift is that if you are too cheap, um, people don't see the same amount of value in what you do. They, they, it, you know, it's like if you buy a really, really cheap um, logo somewhere, right? And you go, I'm going to use this um, for a couple of weeks and it doesn't really matter um, too much. But if someone invests proper money in you, do you know what I mean? Like they go, I'm going to use this. I'm going to make the most of it. I'm going to, I'm going to listen to you. And I think people find if they start to, when they put their prices up, um, their clients like start to see them in a different light. And I think, you need to frame yourself as a consultant because I know I've talked to clients before and you'll put the price out and they go, oh, that's, that um, seems like a lot. And they and there's immediately this divide between you as a creative and them as a as a real business owner. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like they see you as a different type of, kind of like an alien sometimes, I, th- <laughs> I think, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's been enlightening having this um, conversation because... Um, I've seen value-based pricing conversations previously. Um, I've spoken about on the podcast before, but actually um, there was a sentence that you said, you know, about five, 10 minutes ago. I can't remember exactly what it was, but how you explained how um, like redesigning their logo can make them more money using stats from um, sources. Yeah. That's really clever because you're not having to say, you know, hypothetically, how how much more money can you make if you get, you know, two new clients this month? You don't need to do all of that sort of stuff. It's just, you know, painting a picture that uh, using stats that's free, like freely available, that's done through uh, research and and able to present that back is interesting because, like like I said, I, I, I don't normally... I've I've got to a point in my business where I have a set script that I run through. I kind of sell a product. I understand what I'm selling, all this sort of stuff. I can answer all their questions and things like that, but I have like a set price. They can either afford it or not. And I'm well aware that there are times when I'm probably too expensive for them or I'm probably like, 
I could probably make a hell of a lot more money. I don't know because I'm not talking about how much money they're making. I'm not asking the the uh, questions that you are. And yeah. I like the way that you've asked them because it's not it it's not too intrusive. You know, it's it seems very genuine. It seems more like a consultant. It seems like you are coming in and actually wanting to help them make more money. And yes, that's the focus. It's it, yeah. it's a change of mindset. Oh, it is 100%. And something um, we're talking in the group uh, on Tuesday, and we have our, have our calls on Tuesdays, um, and one of the guys in the group um, who's our mutual friend, um, he was like, we can just talk about it um, in a demographic way. You know, like you need to find a, uh, find out about their audience, about their demographic, their market demographics, et cetera. Um, so it's just kind of weaving that into the conversation. And the way that we teach it is that, like, it's a very natural thing just to put into it because you're asking them, about their business goals as much as you're asking them like who are you trying to appeal to um you know like what's the vibe what are the kind of key you know what i'm saying um and yeah it was funny you mentioned value-based pricing like we've been teaching a model of that for years and years and that's what i learned from my dad um and then when i when i started this business i realized that it's it's quite a it's um it's actually quite a prevalent thing that people teach um, in our industry. So I was like, oh, that's good. I'm glad I'm, I'm doing something right. Um, but I think value-based pricing is interesting because you can go kind of two ways with it. You can go, I'm going to price every single project based on the value. So I need to find out those answers and I need to go, well, there's a potential win for you of 100K. So I'm going to say, well, what amount of that would you be uncomfortable to invest in our project? And then they say 10, 20% or whatever, you know. Uh, that's one way, but I think another yeah, way to do yeah. it is, um, and I think maybe a slightly easier way to do it and a nicer way to do it is to go, well, I've got an idea of how much I want to charge you. I've got packages, say, or I know, it, like I have I have a rough idea, you know, not everything's bespoke. I've got a rough idea that um, you need to spend $5,000, um, but you're creating the value by asking those questions so they understand they can potentially make $20,000, say, um, so you're not pricing it based on how much you're going to make, but you're um, justifying the investment based on how much they could make. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, and I think that's a much nicer way of doing it because so. uh, you know the you. It's, it's interesting that you mentioned that value-based pricing can kind of go in two directions. And uh, the the first example that you said, I've kind of always had a bit of. Um, an issue with that side with logo design yeah because it's it's hard to actually measure the success of it i think it's easy with something like a website you know yeah. it's like if if you can increase the amount of conversions and make certain amount of sales you can measure all of that and and you can kind of to some degree guarantee certain figures because to be honest with a website you can manage the conversion rate you can you can con- you, like you, you can add on tracking things that monitor yeah. traffic, where it's all going, and all that sort of stuff. So you can kind of, to some degree, guarantee certain aspects of that, and it's easier to speak about measurable goals because you're talking about sales. But with something like logo design, it is, it's one of those things where, uh, I mean, to, to 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 give an example, I had a client last week. I did a logo for them about a year ago. They wanted to change the uh, A. <laughs> and would that actually make them any money? No, it wouldn't. It, nobody, 
it, it doesn't really matter. It's just like an, an, an aesthetic thing. Would it actually make a big difference? But I think that's the type of thing where it's more personal to them. They value it in a, in a different way. Yes. Um, but it's interesting that you say that value-based pricing can go in these two different directions. And actually that second nicer way that you said, um, I can see how that would work better for uh, logo design. Because like I said, I've, I've kind of gone down the... Uh, fixed pricing direction but actually what you're making me think now is if i am able to speak about the the finances and what they're bringing in Mm -hmm. i could actually have different tiers of services so i can i can probably create a lower end one where i know that they have less money and where in cases where they do have significantly more that's when i probably will feel more comfortable to say you know, five thousand. Yeah, 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 <laughs> you know, going know. way above that thousand figure that I I feel uncomfortable to 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 speak about because I can understand where they are, what they're trying to achieve, and I can I I can feel confident that they will make that money back easily if I can solve the um, problems that they um, have. So, yes. and and it becomes easier to actually have that conversation with them because you understand financially how they're um doing you can uh because sometimes i do charge more like in, in cases where i know that i want to spend more time on the project yeah uh, like i worked with uh, a company called shark bite they it's a game on roblox it's pretty big um uh like roblox is is a huge game and and sharp bites hugely successful and just because of the nature of the project i wanted to spend more time on it because it was more creative there's more that i could do with it so i wanted to charge more to um justify that and it's it's interesting that when you do start to understand pricing and it seems pretty obvious (laughs) really when you when you start thinking about it but when you do have that true understanding you can you can make the amount of money that you should do really from that client. Um, yes. So there's there's probably been many cases where I've significantly significantly undercharged because I've totally underestimated the amount of money that they probably uh, will be making by me helping redesign that um, that logo or the identity. Yeah, exactly. And I think like yeah, you've actually brought up three really good points, and uh, I, I'll try and kind of dive into them all. I think they'll be useful for. Um, anyone listening, um, uh, the first being is that um, whatever you sell to your client, you need to sell them what they need. And I know talking to clients like um, who have just started with me or people I've just kind of talked to in the market, they've often said, I sell someone something because I I don't think they can afford what they actually need. Um, But my big idea is that I think you need to try and sell them the solution that they actually need. If they need more than a logo, if they need, um, you know, all the bits that come with that, that's what you need to sell them. Because if you sell them what you think they can afford, they won't get the same results. And if they don't get them the same results, they won't come back to you for more work. So I think really it comes down to understanding them really well by asking good business questions. I call them kind of business questions. Um, I guess you might call them kind of functional questions. But understanding like where they actually want to go with their business and grounding any creative conversation you're having in a return for them as much as possible. I think if you're going to have um, bespoke pricing, 
um, that's totally fine as long as people are closing on that first interview. Like um, what I usually say to people was, you know, obviously sometimes you have to go away and work out how much things, how much, how long something's going to take, um, how much things, uh, um, you know, something might cost. Um, but we always say get that um, commitment from them and that comes down to ballparking it and going, well, it's going to be between X and Y. Um, are you okay to go ahead with that? I'll work out on the final pricing and work out on what you need. Because um, I think one of the mistakes we make is sometimes we don't finish conversations or we don't, I guess, what you, um, I guess kind of what you'd call advance the sale. Um, so when you're with clients, I say to everybody um, that I work with, you know, make sure you set the next smaller step. If that's you need to go away and I put a proposal together, you know, kind of get a commitment that they're good to go ahead once they find out that final price um, as opposed to let, um, leaving things um, open. It's like if you meet with a client and they say, I'll, I'll um, think about it. And you go, okay, cool. Um, let me know once you've had a chance to go over the proposal and we'll talk about it then. You know, something as simple as going, okay, when are you, when, when would you be likely to, um, you know, kind of go over that and um, get back to me? And they say, oh, probably Tuesday next week. And you say, cool. Um, is it okay if I call you on Wednesday just to see if you've got any questions? Um, it's simple things like that that, Man, I'm going on a total tangent. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. It's all good. I, I mean, I've been in those scenarios where I've um, had a sales call with a. Well, I, you know, I've spoken to a client that's called me. Yeah. Um, and uh, time has gone by, and I've decided just to check in with them. Mm-hmm. And when I've checked in with them, they've gone ahead. But if I didn't. <laughs> They probably wouldn't have done, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to keep that conversation going and, um, speak to them. So I don't think that was a tangent at all. It's all totally, <laughs> totally, uh, relevant. Yeah. Um, I mean, no, we've been speaking for an hour. <laughs> it's good. I think we're, How is yeah. that possible? That's gone really fast. <laughs> I'm glad it was, um, it's useful. I was going to say one, one other cool idea, which is it's, and this is something I learned from my dad. It's like the simple, it's the simple things that will get you more clients and will make things in life easier for you. Like um, one of the things that I don't, I'm sure I'm not, everyone does this, but a lot of people would email a proposal and follow up with the client, you know, as simple as going, Hey, I've I've put a proposal together. Um, I'm happy to send it to you. Can we set an appointment for the day after or the day after that to go through it and answer your questions or even better. (laughs) I know a lot of people do this, but some people don't. Um, deliver the proposal in person so you can kind of walk them through it you know like it's 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 those small things that can mean you don't get clients or clients muck you around or it draws the sales cycle out cool brilliant i I think this has been absolutely amazing there's been so many uh you know really good nuggets of information in this that i found useful so i can imagine (laughs) that um i can imagine that listeners will find it useful as well but yeah like i said we've been speaking for an hour now and um i know we could keep chatting especially about um you know sales and marketing but yeah i think what i would like people to do is go and check out your um content because i know you have a a course you've got a podcast you've got all sorts of stuff so what i'll do is i'll link to all of that in the um show notes so that people can check it out there's there's like like i said there's been golden nuggets in this so surely in that uh course of yours uh it's it's uh probably full of even more amazing gems so um 
yeah Hayden thank you so much for coming on the podcast it's been really great to properly chat with you hey no worries and I apologize um I just did a maniacal laugh before when you said we were talking for an hour because I was like I could get I could talk all day about this but um thank you so much <laughs> um I think yeah um I've got a free group on Facebook which I run which um, I'm sure you'll post a link to and I think like I think my big thing with anything I do is whether it's selling, whether it's talking to clients, whether it's um, giving away free advice, it's really what we do, what I do, what you do. It's about adding value and selling really is about adding value and um, to get more confidence with with um, clients is um, number one, having a process uh, and just as important as that is understanding that like what you do does create tangible results for your clients. And if you understand that, then it just becomes so much um, simpler and um, that in turn that creates uh, more confidence, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's at the end of the day, that's the beauty of marketing is that it's not necessarily about just pumping out ads to no. startups <laughs> yeah, or, uh, you know, doing all this sort of stuff. It's, it's providing helpful content um, so that people can know, like, and trust you and, yes. uh, you can build a reputation. And then obviously once they get in touch, that's when it comes around to the, uh, sales call. And I feel we've covered a lot of that. I've got <laughs> other podcasts that go into a lot of those things in more detail. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I said, there's been, you know, several golden nuggets in this that's been, uh, that, that's got my cogs going. So awesome. hopefully you, uh, listeners have, uh, got the uh, same out of this as well so cool thank you so much Hayden it's been good to chat hey thank you so much and I really appreciate it and um I thank you from having me on and our last thing I'll say is um I think I'm the group you run is amazing like it's such a great resource for creatives and when I found it I was like wow this is like uh, good people with like really cool work um so yeah I appreciate it and what you do as well yeah, no worries. It's everyone, everyone helping everyone. I, I don't see it as my group, it's, it's our group, you know, it's a yeah, like uh, community of uh, people. So that's my goal. Awesome. Thanks, Ian. Thank you so much to Hayden. Uh, that was an absolutely fantastic interview with lots of golden nuggets. So if you want to learn more about Hayden Burgess, head to picture.biz and that's uh, pitch with an R on the end. Uh, for links to his social profiles and a transcription of the interview, uh, go and check out the show notes for this episode, which you can find by heading to logogeek.uk forward slash 118. Uh, so this is the last episode of 2021. Uh, so if you are listening to this on the day of release, I hope you and your loved ones have an absolutely amazing 2022 celebration. And I wish you all the best for the new year ahead and on that note i'll be back the same time next week for another exciting episode of the logo geek podcast